Many of you probably already have seen or know this, but uh, thanks to Robert, we finally uh, have a future home of the Oasis sign up there on our property on Greenfield and Queen Creek. Yeah. We finally got the permission from the town of Gilbert. Yeah, it's a go. You can put the sign up now. So we, he got that up right away, and it looks great over there, and uh, just sort of surreal driving by and seeing that sign and looking at the property and all that kind of good stuff. So anyway, I hope that if you haven't been by, you'll go by, take a look. Especially, I'll say this, if you come up and you're going north on Greenfield, um, that, that way you can literally like pull in and pull your car up in there and, and just sit there and take a look at it. Um, so I would encourage you, it, it's a little bit harder to come south on Greenfield and have to make that that Yui around there in the median. But if you're coming north on Greenfield, it's a little bit easier to do that. Um, God came to Adam after the fall and asked Adam a question. That question is found in chapter 3 of Genesis and verse 9. And the question that God asked of Adam was, where are you? That's really, to me, what this whole message is about today. Where are you? Before we get into looking at the results of the fall, which is what I think God wants me to really concentrate on this morning... I do want to spend just a few minutes this morning talking about the reasons for the fall and the response of God. And when I talk about the fall, it is simply a description of what happens in Genesis 3, where man sins and rebels against God. And basically what happened in Genesis 3 explains what goes on in the world today. That, that since Genesis 3, the world has been marred by and affected by what happened in Genesis 3. In fact, you and I are affected by Genesis chapter 3 every day of our lives. It's something, it's a reality that you and I have to deal with, but yet it explains a lot. But I don't want to talk too much about the result. And, and why is it called the fall? It's called the fall because... What took place in Genesis 3 brought man from his place of a position in his relationship with God and also in his place of responsibility and purpose before God, and he lost that. And that's why it's called the fall. In a sense, before Adam and Eve sinned, they they were at this place. And they were experiencing fellowship and and a a connection with God. Sin affected that. And then they were also given by God before the fall. It's just going to be one of those days. I'm just telling you, it's just going to be one of those days. Um... There you go. All right. Good to know. When that noise hits, that means the air's coming on. 
Um, they were also given by God before the fall this great responsibility. And after they sinned, they relinquished and surrendered that. So that's why in theological circles, we call it the fall, the description of what happened in Genesis 3. So let's just talk for a few minutes about the reasons for the fall. It starts with opposing God's order. When God created the universe, He was an orderly God and He created it with a certain order. And Satan and, and, and human beings began to mess with the order that God created things to be run by. For instance, even Satan coming in the form of the serpent, one of the creations that God created, that man was supposed to have dominion and rule over, sort of heightens man's disobedience. And then you'll notice that in the first couple of verses of Genesis 3, that Satan approaches the woman rather than the man, the head or leader of the home. You also see here that in a sense, even though Adam is present, that Adam is not being the leader and the head that he's supposed to be. And the woman is just naturally flooding into that gap that is left by the man when he doesn't take the leadership role and the headship that he's supposed to take. So God's order is being opposed. It, it's being tampered with. God says, this is the way I created things. And if things, if you run things according to the order that I set them up, you'll be good. But if you start tampering with that order, if you start trying to bypass that order and opposing that order, bad things are going to happen. And we've seen that ever since Genesis 3. Because the opposition to God's order of the way God designed for things to work continues to happen today. Even sometimes amongst Christians who aren't willing to live within God's order of the way He designed things to work, but somehow we think that we can go outside of God's order and we can make things work better. Which leads me to the second result of the fall, or the reason for the fall. And that is, not only was there opposition against God's order, there was the questioning of God's authority. Please read with me. The serpent, verse 1, was more shrewd than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, is it really true that God said you must not eat from any tree of the orchard? And notice the very first thing that the serpent, that Satan behind the serpent is doing. He is questioning the authority of the word of God. Did God really say? And what begins to happen is there begins to be this doubt planted in the mind of Eve about the authority of the word of God. Did God really say? And you'll notice how he twists things here. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the orchard? No, that's not what God said. Look what God said in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 2 of Genesis. God put them in the garden and he said, he commanded the man, you may freely, key word, freely, eat from, eat fruit from Every, keyword, every, tree of the orchard. 
But you must not eat from the one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will surely, keyword, die. And the reason I highlighted those three words, freely, every, and surely, is notice the response of the woman in verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit from the trees of the orchard, but concerning the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the orchard, God said you must not eat from it, and you must not touch it, or else you will die. Notice that in her response, once the authority of God's word begins to be questioned, that she omits the words, every and freely, and adding, touch it, and omitting, surely. She begins to take some of God's word out, and she begins to add to God's word. You see, when you and I subject God's word to our judgment, we're in trouble. We, we cannot, as human beings, the mere creations of God, somehow think that we can sit in judgment of God and of his word. And when you and I begin to question the authority of the word of God, and we begin to tamper with the word of God, and we begin to take out of the word of God the things we don't like or we don't agree with. And we begin to add things to the word of God that we want. That's one of the reasons for the fall. And then you'll notice that another reason for the fall is that they began to question the character of God. Because notice then in verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, surely you will not die. Satan now moves from a subtle suggestion which plants doubts to a flat lie, which really calls God a liar. You're not going to die. What God said really isn't going to happen. Isn't it interesting that Satan contradicts the certainty of God's judgment? In fact, isn't it significant that the very first doctrine that Satan denies in the Bible is God's judgment? That should say something to us. That's even why today people live on earth as if, I'm not accountable to any God. There is no God. And there's not ever going to be any judgment. Because that goes all the way back, that mindset, to Genesis chapter 3. But notice that Satan goes on in verse 5 to say, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like divine beings who know good and evil. Notice he's basically trying to get Eve to see God really isn't good. The reason he told you what he told you is he's holding back from you. He's holding out on you. He really doesn't have your best interest at heart. And he's attacking the character of God. And Eve is beginning to buy into it. Because Satan knows that if we really don't believe God is good and that he has our best interest at heart, we won't trust him. Because you and I won't trust someone or something that we really don't believe has our best interest at heart. And so you see here the reasons for the fall. Opposition of God's order. Questioning God's authority. Questioning God's character. And then it gets to the point where now Eve is ready to take that next step of literally putting herself in the place of God. 
Because it says in verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree produced fruit that was good for food, was attractive to the eye, was desiring for making one's wise, she took some of its fruit and she ate it. Now again, there's so much more I could teach on here. That's not where I want to land today. I want to get to the results, but I do want to mention this. Here's where you see another reason for the fall. She put herself in the place of God at this point. She basically is saying, I know better than God. This is what God told me and my husband, but I know better than God. And she begins, in a sense, to live independently of God. I've got this, God. It's a whole self-fulfillment, self-actualization. I can get to where I want to get to on my own. I don't need God. I can do this. I can figure this out on my own. She starts listening to a creature rather than the creator. She starts following her impressions and instincts rather than her instructions. And she makes self-fulfillment the goal of living life. And we see where this got us all. That's why we lost our place that God originally had for us. So that's the reason. And we, again, we see all of that still happening today, even in a greater de- to a greater degree than even in Genesis 3. There's even more opposition to God's order. There's even more questioning God's authority, even to the point where God doesn't even exist. And even if God said something, I don't have to listen to God. I can live life my way, do things my way, and somehow it's still going to work out for me in the end. And still questioning God's character. Even as Christians, we struggle with that. Something bad happens to us, we go through a season of suffering, we begin to question the goodness of God. And does God really love me? Because if He really loved me and cared about me, why would He allow... We all still struggle with these things. And then we get to places in our life where we make choices just like Eve did. Somehow, even though this is what God said how to live, we know better than God. We're smarter than God. We're wiser than God. And God, I don't need you. I can live independently of you. I can make my choices and decisions in life without you and without regarding your word. And somehow it's all going to turn out really good for me in the end. It all started with Genesis 3. And again, that's why what happened in Genesis 3 still affects every one of us to this day. Either you and I, we see it in our own lives, or we see it in the lives of so many others around us. But I want you to see the response of God. Something we sang about today and something that I want you to see. Notice in verse 8, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God moving about in the orchard at the breezy time of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the orchard. We're going to come back to that. That's one of the results of the fall. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Notice something significant here. The response of God was, even though you messed up and you disobeyed me and you rebelled, I'm coming after you. I'm pursuing you. God could have been very justified at this point in saying this whole creation of humankind was a failed experiment. I'm destroying Adam and Eve and I'm done. But he didn't do that. 
He also didn't allow Adam and Eve to live forever in this miserable, sinful state that they now found themselves in. No, he came after them because that's who God is. God loved us enough, even back then when he first created the very first human beings. And he said, I can't leave you this way. I, I, I want to help. Because God understood, I'm the only one that can help now. See, the reason why God prohibited Adam and Eve from eating the tree of good and evil is not because he didn't want them to know good and evil. He wanted them just to follow him. That's all they had to do. Listen to me and you'll be fine. But when you take that responsibility onto yourself, here's what happens. Yes, you know good from evil, but there's not a thing you can do to fix it. In other words, they knew they had sinned. They knew they had messed up. But they had no idea what the answer should be. In fact, the Bible goes on to tell us they try to, you know, clothe themselves because now all of a sudden they never had a problem with being naked before. But now all of a sudden they do. And they're trying to cover themselves up with these fig leaves that they made. And the problem is that they covered themselves up physically, but they had no covering for what really needed to be covered. And that was their spiritual covering. Only God can provide that kind of a covering. Which is what God did. But that's what I want us to see today. That's what led God to come to them in the garden and basically love them enough and care enough about them to confront them. None of us like to be confronted. We always want to be told we're doing everything right. But see, God loves us enough and cares enough about us that when we are not in the place we should be, he will come to us and he loves us enough to confront and say, where are you? I hope we can always realize that. God's truth sometimes stings and convicts. But the reason why God says the things that he does to us is not because he doesn't like us. It's actually because he has our best interests at heart. And he wants us to stop living in this miserable state we find ourselves in and realize there's a much better state if we'll just start following him and listening to him. And realizing why we got to where we got to. Which is really why he's asking that question. When he asks, where are you? He's trying to get them to see what got you to that place. It's not that God doesn't physically know where they're at. He knows where all of us are at. He wants them to realize where they're at and how far they have now fallen because they chose to live independently of God and to take matters into their own hands and basically put themselves in the place of God saying, I know better than you do, God. And so that's why God comes. So now we come to these results that I want us to see today. And I want to just talk about a couple of them briefly, and I want to concentrate on two. The first thing we see all the way back in verse 6 and 7 is that we never sin in a vacuum where the consequences of our choices and decisions only affects us. Notice it says, she took some of its fruit and ate it, and she also gave some of it to her husband who was with her. 
At this point, Adam had rejected his role as the leader, and Eve had basically rejected her role as his helper. Yeah, she's helping him, all right. She's helping him to disobey God. And the choice that she made sunk Adam. And then notice it didn't take very long till their whole family was affected. It didn't take too long after this till they watched one of their sons murder their other son. Pretty painful consequence. We somehow think that our lives just affect us and that the decisions and choices we make just affect us. No, none of us live in a vacuum. Every choice that you and I make, the things we choose to do, the things we choose not to do, will affect those around us more than we could ever imagine. Just like parents. The decisions we make as parents, we don't realize sometimes how our decisions to do things and not to do things either positively or negatively affect our children, our grandchildren, and on and on and on. That's what the Bible teaches. That's one of the results. Secondly, notice this. Over here in verse 12 and 13, that one of the other results is that Instead of accepting responsibility, where do we always go? We accuse. We point the finger at somebody else. Notice what happened in verse... When when God said in verse 11, Did you eat, Adam, from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Notice what Adam's response is. It's the woman's fault. The woman you gave me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. It's not my responsibility, it's hers. Blame her. And then notice what Eve does. Verse 13, so the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And notice, the woman said, the serpent tricked me. It's his fault. And do we not live in a world today where no one hardly ever accepts responsibility for anything? It's always somebody else's fault. It's always pointing the blame, shifting the blame, pointing the finger at someone else. It goes all the way from the most powerful people in the world all the way down to the lowest of society. No one wants to accept responsibility. It's somebody else's fault. It's one of the results of the fall. But God comes in verse 9. And he asks, where are you? Why? Because another result of the fall was alienation from God and from one another. That's what happened. See, before they disobeyed God and they sinned, they had this beautiful fellowship and communion and connection with God. They would meet God in the garden every day. They would walk together. They would spend time together. And now that they have disobeyed God, notice what they do. They draw back from God. They withdraw from God. They are hiding from God. That's not what God designed it to be like. God wanted to be with us. He wanted to be with them. And ever since sin came in, here's what happened. We begin to alienate from God and alienate from one another. And God is asking us today, where are you? When was the last time you spent quality time with God? 
where you and God just got alone and spent time together. God is saying, where are you? Are you hiding? Are you drawing back? Are you withdrawing for some reason? Where are you? I want to be with you. I want to spend time with you. And so often, even as followers of Jesus Christ, our desire for God is nowhere near God's desire for us. God says, can we spend time together? Where have you been? And then again, that affects even us with each other. Do we not realize that the Bible teaches that God called us to come together as His people and to live in fellowship and connection with one another? And yet so often we're just out there not making time to get together and be with each other and doing our own things. And we do not spend the time together with one another that we should. In fact, there are some even Sundays and Wednesdays as the pastor, I look out and go, where are you? Where is everybody? Where'd everybody go? Do we not think this is a priority anymore? Do we not care? That this is what God called us to? This should be a priority? We should give priority to our relationship with God and to one another because God said, that's what it's really all about. Where are you? We have to understand and fight against and be very intentional about not letting the results of the fall that God obviously can reverse in our lives through faith in Jesus Christ, let us continually negatively affect us to where it draws us away from God like it did Adam and Eve and draw us away from one another, where we withdraw to our own little places and we hide from each other and we draw back from one another rather than coming together and coming to God. God is saying to us, where are you? Though we live in a world where we have more machinery to try to help us stay in contact and in relationship with each other, we actually do a very poor job with relationships. There are young people in this up-and-coming generation that are more comfortable interacting with a machine than they are another human being. How sad, how sad when God said, I created you to have a relationship with me, to interact with me, to walk with me, to let me be the part of your life every day, to be in every detail of your life. Where are you? And he designed us to be that way with one another. Where are we? And then the other reason God asked this question is because God had established that Adam and Eve would rule and have dominion over his creation. He assigned them responsibility. You're in charge of all this. And another then reason why God is asking, where are you, is because they abdicated their God-given responsibility and purpose for their lives. They surrendered it. They relinquished it when they disobeyed God. God wanted them to step up and rule over everything, and now they're hiding. They're not in the place God wanted them to be. And I also see God asking that question of us. 
Where are you? Why are you not stepping up and taking that responsibility I want you to take? Why are you not stepping up and stepping into that ministry or or that service or what I'm calling you to do? Where are you? I need you to step up. I need you to to be a part of of the answer and a part of the solution rather than sitting back and, and, and criticizing and bemoaning why things aren't the way they are. It's one of the challenges that churches like ours have. Not that I ever want to be like those mega churches. I don't. But it's one of the challenges you have in a culture in which we live where even amongst Christians you have people that will reject coming to a church like this because even though you offer them a chance to be part of building something and and coming in and and adding to something and, and growing something with others, that's not attractive to them. They want to go to a church where everything's all been figured out and they can just show up at a certain time and just be. Because it's too much effort, too much work to actually try to build something and grow something. They just want everything to be worked out for them and just slide right in. I've even had people who've come through the oasis in the last six years who've told me that. That's why they don't stick. Because, well, you don't have this and you don't have... And we're, first of all, we're not going to have all that stuff anyway. Because that's not what church is to be about. But a lot of Christians just don't get it nowadays. And yet, God is calling each of us to have a part in what he's doing. And each of us needs to step up and do their part. It's what the book of Ephesians chapter 4 says. That every member in the body of Christ has something that they're responsible for. Something. There's nobody in the body of Christ that doesn't have some kind of assignment, some kind of responsibility, something that they should be doing in the body. The Bible clearly says, if you're in the body of Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then there's something, some purpose, some responsibility, some role, something God wants you to do. And God is saying to many people today in his church, in his body, where are you? Where are you? You're, you're supposed to be fulfilling this role, this responsibility. I don't see you stepping up. You're hiding. You're withdrawing. You're drawing back. You're not stepping in to that place that I designed for you. And there's all kinds of reasons that we can justify of why. Well, I'm afraid I'll fail, or I'm afraid I'll be criticized, or I'm afraid of this and that, and fear can drive a lot, but you realize that all those feelings of fear do not come from God. They're coming from the enemy who's trying to keep you and I, just as he did Adam and Eve, from stepping up and stepping into the roles of leadership and responsibility that God designed for us. And God is saying to us today, where are you? Where are you? Where are you relationally? And where are you responsibly? Because the results of the fall 
are that we were alienated from God and from one another. We abdicated our position and place of responsibility. And we began to accuse others rather than accept responsibility ourselves. And we see these very things that started here in Genesis 3 now entrenched in our worldwide society and culture. It's something that you and I have to navigate and live with every day of our lives. The only way things are going to change is not for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to run and retreat. It's time for the church and for brothers and sisters in Christ to stand up, to step into the responsibility and the roles and and all of that that God designed for you and I to take on at this time and to be the people of God that God is calling us to be. To stop being alienated from God and spending so much, so many hours a day and days of the week and weeks in a month apart from God and start driving ourselves to God, spending time with God, spending time with one another and stepping up and taking on the responsibility God wants. The reason our society and our world is in the bad shape that it's in is because People aren't accepting responsibility anymore. And people aren't stepping into the roles and responsibility that they should. They have abdicated it. They've surrendered it. They've relinquished it. And that's not the design that God had for us. God is saying to His people today, where are you? I'm going to ask our worship team to come. And in just a moment, As we begin to sing this last song, there are going to be folks who are going to dismiss you to go back to the table and to get that symbolic bread and and cup of the Lord's blood and of His body. And as we do this today, I want you to approach that table with that question. Where are you? Jesus died shed His blood, gave His life, allowed His body to be broken so that the alienation that took place in the garden in Genesis 3 could be restored. So that 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 gap, that, that gulf between us and God could be mended and God could bring us back to Him. So that we could live with Him, not apart from Him. And so that we could be living together with one another. John, the book we're studying on Wednesday night. Which, by the way, it was good to see a few more people out on Wednesday night. John says, What we have heard and what we have seen we share with you so that you may have fellowship with us. And you know that our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Where are you? And then as we go back to that table, Jesus also died because He had a responsibility. He has a purpose for our lives after we come to meet Him as, his, as our Savior. And Jesus is asking all of us today, I love you. I died for you. I'm glad you're one of my children. But where are you? 
Have you stepped up and stepped into this role, this responsibility, this purpose that I have for you today? Or are you hiding somewhere? Are you withdrawing? Are you holding back? God is saying to us today, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we believe that His blood can wash away our sin and forgive us and restore us to fellowship with God, then we certainly can believe that whatever responsibility God has for us, whatever role God has for us, whatever purpose God has for us, He will enable us and empower us to do it. It's time for us to step up and to take hold of what God has for us. As you take hold of that bread and that cup today, will you also say to God, God, I am willing and ready to take a hold of what you have for me. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your amazing love. You run after us. You pursue us. You will not let us go. You love us too much. You care about us so much that you are willing to confront us with very probing questions. Only because you always have our best interest at heart. But God, today, if you ask that question to each of us, where are you? May we respond, God, in a very positive, powerful way. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.